Hello, I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. Coming up after the news, it's Philosophy Talk. Today, truth and relativism. Is there such a thing as absolute truth, or is all truth relative? Why does it have to be an either-or, John? I mean, some truths are absolute, the truths of logic, the laws of physics, but, you know, matters of taste or etiquette, even art and morality, that's all relative. I don't know about art and morality being just like taste and etiquette, Ken. Do you really, don't you think it's, it's just plain true that the Mona Lisa is beautiful? Don't you think it's just plain true that taking innocent life is wrong? Well, maybe. I mean, but are you saying that the absolute truth is whatever John Perry takes to be true? Seriously? There's a theory we could go with. I mean, yeah. seriously. I mean, who gets to say what the absolute truth is? What's true for me is true for me. What's true for you is true for you, period. I guess for the next hour, I'm going to be telling you the absolute truth, and you're not going to be listening. This sounds like fun. Stay tuned as Philosophy Talk tackles truth and relativism after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of 91.7 FM KALW. Innovative public radio for San Francisco. But we're continuing conversations that begin at Stanford at Philosopher's Corner, where we talk about philosophical topics all day and many evenings. Yeah, and today uh, we started talking earlier about truth and relativism, John. Is there such a thing as the absolute truth, or is all truth relative? What, what do you think? Well, I think this is like most philosophical problems, one that discussion goes a lot better if you make a few distinctions. I think uh, lots of times when people think of relative truth, they're really thinking of... of a kind of relativity that doesn't have much to do with truth. Suppose, for example, I say uh, it's now seven minutes after 12. And I say, you're wrong, because I'm over in Chicago and you're in San Francisco. Yeah, you say, oh, it's not seven minutes after 12, it's seven minutes after 2. Well, there's no disagreement. What's relative is time. What time it is is relative to a time zone. Once you stick the time zone in there, you've got truth as absolute as you want. It is now eight minutes after 12 Pacific time. Uh, I get your point, John. That's a very good distinction you're making. But does it make the debate go away? It sounds like you think, I mean, you, somebody could now say, informed by you, yeah, well, all truths are like this. None of them are determinately true or false until you fix a standard of time zone, a person, a, a standard of taste, a moral framework. All truths are relative to some framework. Some well, you know, I think there's another distinction that would be relevant to a lot of these claims and diffuse them. Uh, lots of times you hear students say, true for me, not true for you. True yeah. for me, false for you. They might say something like, look, the Babylonians and the Greeks believed that the stars were just holes in a big dome over the earth. And if you had been back in Babylonia or Greece and you'd said, no, no, the stars are big balls, many times bigger than the earth, some of them bigger than the sun, and they're burning, that's why they're light, people would say, you're wrong, that's false, you're wrong. Jeez. But now if you said it, people say it's true. So true. What, what's true depends on when you are and what other people believe. But you think that's, you think that's confused, that kind of thinking just relative to a believer isn't yeah. enough. No, I mean, yeah, right. the right way to say that, it, to describe that, is not true for them, true for us, but they believe something different than we did, and, They're by wrong. the way, they were wrong, you know, and the, we are right about the stars. The, there's one, I, I, I grant you, so maybe there are some truths that are absolute, they're not all relative to a, t a parameter of some sort or other, but the, you know what the problem with relative, uh, absolute truth is? How do you know when you've got it? 
You know, I mean, it's so hard to find out the absolute truth. And moreover, when you claim that you know the absolute truth, you know what people do? They look at you like you're some kind of fanatic. Some well, kind I of mean, freak. if it's in the New York Times, it's got to be true, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So I don't know. I, th- I, I think this is hard stuff. And, you know, our resident truth seeker, Amy Standen, a roving philosophical reporter, she went out and she talked to people, people on the street, about their views about truth. Uh, she files this report. When in doubt, wrote Mark Twain, tell the truth. It's good advice, but is truth a real thing? Who has it? Are there lots of truths or just one? I asked those questions of three people, a public defender named Greg Goldman, Father Jim Bretsky, a Jesuit priest, and a philosopher and trained physicist, David Albert. We'll hear him first. What has to strike every reasonable observer of the situation is that compared to other epistemic projects, compared to other projects in our culture whose aim has been the production of new knowledge about the world, science has been spectacularly successful. The scientific project surely is based on some kind of a conviction that in the long run, if people try hard to practice science in the way that it ought to be practiced, there is some sense of closing in on a final, objective, true set of claims about the world. The public defender. The beauty of my job is that I don't need to find out what the truth is. I just need to present a spin of the facts that supports the exoneration of my client. The district attorney just has the opposite responsibility, which is just to spin the facts in the way that points to the guilt of my client. The real burden then is on the jury or the judge and how convinced they feel about what the truth is. I'm committed to zealous representation of my clients, and that means that I need to try and find that piece of truth or find that piece of evidence or find that interpretation of the evidence that would set that person free. From my perspective, trying to determine what the truth is, often, actually, it would hinder me from being able to do a you know, a really thorough job. Before I became a lawyer, I felt that truth was sort of a three-dimensional thing that existed in the universe. And now the only truth that I can see is that, that you know, it's as slippery as just people's points of view. The Jesuit priest. Do I believe in God? Yes. I mean, I do, of course. I've given a good deal of my life to that. Do I believe that everyone has to believe in God uh, in order to have an understanding of truth? No. Uh, Do I believe that, that the existence of God is objectively verifiable? No, I don't believe in that either. If, if you say, oh, well, I don't believe in God, then I guess I can say, well, yes, okay, I believe you're wrong on that, but I'm not making a moral judgment about you. The truths we get out of the Bible are more truths of faith, and the acceptance or the non-acceptance of them are dependent on the gift of faith. How does anyone know that their values are essentially right? You can't say, well, I can prove it because here's an algorithm for it or here's a, a, you know, an empirical process. You believe that this makes sense to you as you understand the world and yourself and others by the best lights that you have, and those are interior lights. And so faith is very much the same way. For Philosophy Talk, this is Amy Standen. You can listen to the rest of this program by purchasing it at iTunes Music. 
or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.